Well, praise the Lord, and welcome to Russ Podcast today. I'm your host, Kirk Space. Are you saved today? Do you have a born-again Christian experience that you want to share on the show? Are you religious? Are you questioning the Bible or even God's existence? If so, I want to have a conversation with you. You can reach out to me at russpodcast at proton.me. That's russpodcast at proton.me. I'm also on all the fancy social media networks now, you know, the Facebook, the Instagram. So you can find me on one of those. Send me a message, you know, get in touch. So today I got a special guest on with me today. Uh, I have Pastor Jim Law with me. Now, if any of you know Jim Law, you know he's an incredible pastor and he's also the the director of the prison ministry down at Jimmy Swaggart Ministries, uh, you know, Sun Life Broadcasting Network that we are uh, media church members of. And Pastor Jim has quite uh, the amazing story. Let me tell you, I've I've seen him I think two or three times now in person, and we became good friends with with Pastor Jim. And you know, he has a a, a pretty intense story. You know, he he started out young in turmoil, you know, in drugs and alcohol, and he ended up turning to crime at a young age, and, you know, he ended up doing a, a 11 years in prison. And to anybody that doesn't know, he was actually, you know, anybody in the Pennsylvania area, you'll know about the Camp Hill prison riots in the 80s. Well, Pastor Jim was in the those Camp Hill prison riots, and he got saved amongst all of this turmoil, and it's unbelievable how this story is going to unfold for you guys. You know, he has a very, very uh, incredible, um, a whole repertoire of things that the Lord has done in his life that it's just, it's so empowering. So I, I can't wait for you guys to hear how the Lord has moved from taking him out of prison all the way through the ministry work that he's done to now being the director of the prison ministry for Sun Life Broadcasting Network. So guys... Sit back, relax. We're going to get to Jim right now. Jim, brother, how you doing today, man? I'm doing great today, Kirk. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and have an opportunity to glorify God and bring a message of hope and encouragement to those that are dealing with addictions, bondages of any kind, but especially like the parents of those that have children that are in addiction to be listening. And if you know somebody that does have a child caught up in drugs or in prison and they're heartbroken over their lifestyle, this testimony what God has done will be an encouragement to them. So I want to encourage you, uh, get them to listen to this podcast at a later date. Amen, brother. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, just looking at your bio here, and I, and I know some of these things too, for, you know, just from knowing you, but you have a pretty pretty incredible resume of what the Lord's done in your life and all the ministry work that you've done. And uh, you also have a book that you wrote, uh, Rebellion to Righteousness, Hope for the Next Generation. And I remember the first time I met you, Adam uh, took me to, there was a church in Likens, PA, I believe, and you were filling in for the pastor. I guess he was on vacation that week, and uh, that was the first time I met you. And I didn't even know who you were yet because I was still freshly saved. And when we met, I'm like, wow, this guy's on fire for the Lord. He's awesome. And you told me about your book, and and I bought it that day, and I went home and read it within an hour. And it's not a very long book, but it is it is a, a fantastic read. So anybody out there, uh, Jim, if anybody wants to get a hold of your book, what's the best way for them to get a hold of that? Well, I, I don't sell it on Amazon at all right now, so if anyone is interested in purchasing the book, it's just $10 plus shipping costs. Uh, they can get in touch with you and, and, and give, uh, uh, give, them, give you their information, and then I'll, I'll give them a call because I never know when I'm in a prison down here, in and out, keeping busy, doing things for the Lord, and I think that's probably the best way to do it, get in touch with you, Kirk. Awesome. Sounds good. Well, all right. Well, I'll uh, I'll open us up with a word of prayer here, and then we'll uh, we'll just let you jump right into it to take us, you know, as far back as you want, and you know, just kind of lead the way. Sounds like a plan. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you today for your grace and your mercy, Lord, and Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to be able to come together with Pastor Jim Law today, to be able to have him share his testimony on this global platform, so that the whole world can hear how you have moved in his life, Lord. And Lord, we just pray, Father, that the listening audience can have ears to hear and a heart willing to accept the truth 
of what's going to be said today, Lord. And we just pray, Father, that the Spirit can lead and guide this conversation between me and Pastor Jim today. And Lord, may you get all of the glory in this. And in Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. First of all, I want to start out by saying everything that I say here today is never to glorify my flesh, the devil, or my past. I'm here today for one purpose only, that is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, first of all, at the cross and what he has done in my life and through my life. So those that are listening today, <clears throat> excuse me, my, my testimony is going to be a lot like others that you've heard. But there's a difference in my testimony and where I'm at now compared to a lot of others that have sort of like the same testimony. And a few years ago, I was asking the Lord, God, why have you blessed me so much? And I'm going to share with you the totality and the depth of the blessings that God has uh, put in my life. And I couldn't figure out why. And then my wife said to me one day, she said, the Lord spoke to her and said, why God has blessed my life so much. It's because that when I became born again and I asked the Lord Jesus Christ to come into my life, not just into my heart, but I said, come into my life and take over my life. And when I did that, I accepted the Lord Jesus Christ and I immediately had a hunger for the word, began reading the word and began serving him immediately right where I was at inside that state prison serving a 17 year prison sentence. And I, because I did it immediately and I began to serve him and I continue to serve him, I took a hold of what God has taken a hold for me and I haven't looked back. I kept moving forward. And a lot of people don't do that. They get to a point where they're, they start to slow down and they begin to stop serving. And all of a sudden, they begin to get cold in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm anything but cold. I'm going to be 70 year old in a, in a few weeks. Matter of fact, during our camp meeting is my 70th birthday. And it seems like I'm gaining speed. My wife asked me, when are you going to slow down? And I think the older I get, the shorter the time I have on earth, the urgency I have to win more souls, to do more things for God, to bring him more glory. Uh, the urgency, I think I'm picking up speed because I was pretty fast before I came to the Lord. Now I think I'm twice as fast in the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. So, amen. So let, let me let me start out by <clears throat> sharing a little bit. I like to do before Christ, how I came to Christ, and what God has done since I came to Christ. And, and so everyone bear with me. I'm going to leave out a lot of gory details in that sense, but I want you to get the a very good understanding of the um, of the sickness that was in my heart and my mind with that sin nature before I was saved. Now, a lot of you have come from what we call a dysfunctional family background, like I have. Uh, my father was an alcoholic. I have an older brother, two younger sisters. My mother worked her whole life. She worked at nighttime because my dad, being an alcoholic, he would drive truck. And he would drink when he come home every night. But then the weekends he would drink, he would drink whiskey, and that set him off in an anger. It opened up the door for the wrong spirits to come in, and he began to get physical. He got physical with my mother at times, and then he got physical with me. And in in one of the chapters of my book, I have one called the Black Sheep chapter. Uh, I was the, what they call the black sheep of the family. I have an older brother. He was a firstborn. Parents, those that are listening, okay, I understand the firstborn, you just love that child, but then the second comes along, and then the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and it seems like you favor the firstborn. Don't do that. It hurts. It hurts the, the mind and the heart and the spirit of the others born after that firstborn, and it hurt me tremendously. No matter what my older brother did, he could do no wrong. No matter what, I have two younger sisters. The first one, oh, she was a new girl. And then there was another one. Oh, she's the baby. I was the second born. I was what they call the black sheep of the family. No matter what I did, I couldn't please my father to this day. I don't ever remember say, hearing my father say to me, I love you, son, or I'm proud of you, son. Never. I've asked the Lord to bring it to remembrance. Not even one time can I remember that. And so I was brought up in a dysfunctional family background on the streets of Philadelphia, 
And so when you're brought up and raised in the in the city life, especially big cities like Philadelphia, New York, uh, Los Angeles, places like that, you have a tendency to run a little wild, which I did. <clears throat> and I was not getting the love and the attention I needed at home. My mother did the best she could, but she worked at night. She come home early in the morning, got us kids off to school. She went to sleep. We came home from school. She cooked dinner. She took a nap. She went to work and it got no love for my father. And so I was out on the street at eight, nine, 10 years old, just wanting to be loved. I didn't know it at the time, but I was just looking to feel wanted and loved and, and needed. And so what happens is when someone has that, parents, listen to me here, when they're not getting the attention and the love that they're getting at home, they are going to look for it elsewhere. And that's what happened with me. I began to look for it out in the street through so-called friends who would accept me as I was. And so what happened at 10 years old, my so-called friends who were 11, 12, 13, were drinking beer. And I started drinking beer at 10 years old. And when you start drinking beer at 10 years old, it begins to hurt your mind, okay? It begins to do things in your thinking pattern. And what happens is I run home at nighttime on a Friday night and I run upstairs and mom says, where are you going? I say, I'm not feeling good, I'm going to bed. And thank God for moms. Moms know you can't get away with anything from moms. They have, they have a gift that God has placed inside of them, intuition. The world calls it intuition. I call it a gift of knowledge and discernment from God. Mothers know, you ladies, listen to me. To, to this day, I'm married going on 33 years. If I'm back up in Pennsylvania preaching or in another state preaching and I'm away from my wife and I call her throughout the day several times and she says to me, uh, sweetheart, how you doing? I'll say, oh, I'm doing okay. She'll say, what's wrong? I'll say, nothing's wrong. She'll say, tell me what's wrong. And I said, well, I'm dealing with this love. Listen, ladies, you know, you know, mom's got that gift. You ladies have that gift. And so let me encourage you. To, when God speaks to you in that concerning your son or daughter, don't just let it pass by. Deal with it. Jump on it. The sooner you bring something out into the light and get it taken care of, it gets it out at the root before it gets stronger. Well, it never happened with me. And that root of alcohol got stronger and stronger. Now, here I'm at 10, 11, 12 years old, drinking alcohol. And then the next thing, someone introduces marijuana. And so now I'm drinking alcohol, okay, smoking marijuana at 12 years old. And when you drink alcohol, you get sick, you get drunk, you lay down, you get dizzy, and you, 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 you throw up, so to speak terminology there you have your dry heaves and where do you where do you put your head for that you put it in a toilet listen to me the last thing we want to do is putting our head in a toilet you adults that drink listen to me we're putting our head in a toilet who knows the germs that are in there and then you smoke marijuana and that gives you the munchies and you get tired, then you pass out and you wake up, you drink more booze and you drink more alcohol and then you take more marijuana and you, you get caught up in this vicious cycle. And I got caught up in at 12, 13 years old and then 14 years old, someone introduces pills to me. This is what the devil does. The devil is just as real as Jesus Christ. And let me tell you something, he don't come with a little red suit and a tail and pointy ears and a pitchfork. He comes working through people. Let me tell you some names of the devil. I, I can tell you the devil, Satan, Beelzebub, and all. no, no, no. The devil laughs when, he's, when you look for him with that. Let me tell you what some of the names of the devil. He's alcohol. He's drugs. He's pornography. He's lust. He's greed. He's jealousy. He's envy. Listen, these are some names that the devil comes in. He comes in a package you wouldn't think. And so a friend of mine introduces me. One introduces me to alcohol. The next one, supposedly a friend, introduces me to marijuana. Now another friend introduces me to these pills. And he says, hey, Jim, if, if you want to stay awake instead of passing out, these pills are called uppers. <clears throat> They're called speed pills. You take a few of those and that will keep you awake so you can drink more alcohol and smoke more marijuana. So I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. And so I take some of these 
and there's a side effect with them. But then the more you take, okay, the longer you take them, you build up a tolerance. You need more. It's like everything else. You start out drinking one beer, then you need, and then you drink a six pack. You start out smoking one marijuana cigarette, then you're smoking 10. You start out taking two or three pills, then you're popping 15 or 20. And after a while, it begins to uh, do things in your mind and kill brain cells that you're not being aware of. You're looking for just to be wanted and loved. This is happening to our teenagers today at an early age also. Parents, I'm talking to you here. Okay, I hope you're listening. And then what happened is by 14, 15 years old, another person comes to me and says, hey, Jim, instead of taking all in pills, the, this is this is those same pills, but it's in a powder form. And so if you take this, you won't have to take a bunch of them. And I said, well, how do you how do you take that? And they said, well, you, you can do it two ways. You can inject it with a needle or you can put it up your nose. I said, let me tell you something. I don't like needles. I don't like going to a doctor and getting shots for any reason whatsoever. So I tried the other way. I tried it. It burnt my nose going in, but it did the trick. And I liked it better than taking the pills. So here I am by 15 years old, drinking alcohol, smoking marijuana, popping pills, and snorting methamphetamine by 15 years old. Now, this stuff isn't free. you got to pay for it. And I wasn't doing good in school. I've always had a good brain. I had 129 IQ in eighth grade. I've never been stupid. I made stupid choices like we all have, but I've never been stupid, but I never developed my brain in a proper way. And so at 15 years old, now I got to get a job. And I'm having problems in school. The school came to me and says, we don't want you in school all day. You're, you're a troublemaker. We're going to let you be in school from 8 to 11 in the morning in Lansdale, Pennsylvania. And we want you to go get a job and we'll give you some credit for a job. So I ended up working for a 7-Eleven type place. It was called Sid's Quickway, owned by a Jewish man. And I started working in there, making some money. And let me tell you something, drugs are expensive. They're more expensive nowadays. But back then, just working wasn't enough. So I started dealing drugs. And let me tell you something, after a while, you know, you're going to get caught. Well, I did it good for a couple of years. I wasn't caught as a juvenile. But once I turned 18, I got caught. <clears throat> back in the 70s. I was born in 1954, so about 1972, once I turned 18, uh, in the early 70s, they began these early morning raids. I was the first person in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, that ever had an early morning raid. They showed up at my parents' house at 6 a.m. in the morning with a bunch of policemen, undercover agents, knocking on my parents' door. My parents opened the door and asked what they want. They said, we want your son. And they said, why? He said, well, we got a search warrant for his arrest. And she went upstairs, woke me up, and my mom was freaking out, didn't know what was going on. So I went outside, and they searched my car, and they found a little bit of marijuana residue. They cuffed me, arrested me, put me in the back of the police car, and they took me down to where I was working, to a rooming house next door. And I had a room to rent there. My parents didn't know about it. And I was dealing drugs out of that. Thank God I didn't have any drugs there at that time. But I had lost that room and house, went to jail, and came back out on bail, on a minimal bail charge. Now here I'm at 18 years old, and now I have been arrested for uh, a sales of, sales of a drug of uh, methamphetamine and possession of marijuana. Ended up going to court, ended up with a three-month prison sentence, and my way I went to jail. I don't care who you are, how tough you think you are, how bad you think you are, what kind of a fighter you are. Let me tell you something. When you go to jail for the first time, everybody has what I call a fear of the unknown. And so I went to the jail and I had a little bit of fear of unknown, but I got in there and I thought, well, this ain't nothing. Hey, I know so-and-so. There's a lot of people you know in that drug culture that are also incarcerated. So I did my time and I got back out. <clears throat> didn't teach me a lesson, went right back to my drugs and alcohol and wheeling and dealing. So now I'm getting to be 20, 21 years old. Then someone comes along and says, hey, Jim, have you ever tried shooting this meth? Stick it in a syringe. I said, I'll tell you, I don't like needles. Well, guess what? The devil working through them wore me down. And so I tried it one time 
And then I end up sticking a needle on my arm for 20 years. Think about it. I ended up sticking a needle in my arm for just about 20 years. And I didn't just put methamphetamine. I put heroin. I put cocaine, PCP, animal tranquilizer, whatever I could put in a syringe I put in. And then I began to do burglaries. Now, I had a little bit of uh, what you would call morality to me at that point. I would never rob anybody or steal anything for anyone's personal property or in their home or go in their home and violate a home. Believe it or not, in my mindset, that's how in my mindset, I was brought up and raised, you don't do that. But in my drug mindset, I kept that. But what I did do was some burglaries. I would do burglaries up in the middle of the night up throughout Pennsylvania in the Poconos. And me and my accomplices would go into a car dealership. And I figured, well, they got insurance. They rip people off anyway. They charge too much for the cars. So we would go into our car dealerships. I would open up their safe and take out whatever money, inspection stickers, and guns they had in there. And until one day I got arrested with some stolen stickers. So I got arrested for possession of the stolen stickers, and they tried to put the burglary on me. The next minute, you know, I'm standing in front of the judge again, and this time he sentenced me to one to two years in a state penitentiary, and away I went. Now, this is different now from a county jail. But again, there's a, it's an amazing way God has created us, how we can adapt to any situation. So now I'm sitting in a state penitentiary in Greater Ford, classified, transferred up to Dallas, Pennsylvania, Wilkesboro. And so I'm up there and I'm thinking, okay, met some new friends. I'm going to get healthy. I'd lost some weight, lifted some, lifted some weights on a weight pile, got good at playing handball did my time up there and after 15 months got released right back to my drugs and my drug dealing and things like that so now here i am not learning anything not learning anything i was brought up and raised to go to sunday school but when i got 12 13 years old involved with alcohol and drugs and everything my parents said you're old enough to make your own decision so i made the decision to stop going to church but thank God they made me go when I was a kid. There were seeds planted. Listen to me, parents. There were seeds planted during those years of early years that God used later on to bring the bloom and desire for the Lord Jesus Christ and the things of God. So they're not wasted times when you're dragging your kids to church. There's seeds being planted. God's word says one plants, another war. At the right time, God will give the increase. So now here I am back in the street, running around, acting crazy. I'm getting arrested for this thing, that thing, another thing. And we get up to about 1981. In 1981, they had 62 warrants out for my arrest. 62 warrants. Think about it. I look back now, I'm thinking, wow, I must not have been that smart. I, I kept getting caught all the time. We think we're so smart when we're in this drug-induced or self-deceived mentality. And so I had 62 warrants out for my arrest. And you know what, you can run, but you can't hide. Thank God for people that were praying for me back then and things like that. But I finally got picked up, uh, got arrested. I was had a bail $25,000, placed in jail. I was in there for uh, a couple months and I finally got somebody to put up a house for my bail for the 25,000 the day before I was going to court. And I went to court the next day and the judge made a plea bargain with me. He dropped 45 charges, the, the prosecuting attorney, I mean. If I pled guilty to 17, they'd keep me out on bail, which I did. And then about 40 days later, I got the letter in the mail. I needed to show up for court for sentencing. <clears throat> so I called my attorney up and I asked him, I said, what's it look like? Okay, what's it look like? He said, well, Jim, you're, you're gonna be going to jail for a while. And I'm thinking, okay, I understand that. <clears throat> But I figure, well, I might go to jail for a year or two, and that's no problem. I've, I've been to jail before. I'll just go in and get healthy and, you know, play some more handball, make some new connections and come out. This is the mindset we, we as addicts have. And he said, well, Jimmy, he says, you're, you're, you have, you're facing 57 and a half to 115 years in prison. I said, excuse me, there's something wrong with this phone connection. Did you say 57 and a half to 115 months? He said, no, 57 and a half to 115 years. I said, well, how's that happening? <clears throat> Excuse me. 
throat's getting dry. He said, well, you pled guilty to these charges and that's what they carry. I said, well, you're my attorney. He said, well, you told me to do it. I said, well, I don't know what I'm doing. That's why I pay you. He said, well, look, he said, show up for court, bring the rest of my fee because you're going to jail for a while. I hung the phone up and I had four days to get things together. I gathered as much drugs and money as I could, packed the bag, kissed my mother and my sisters away. My dad and I hadn't talked in five years. My brother and I really never were close. And I got on a bus and Philadelphia to Greyhound bus station and went out to Arizona. So now I'm a fugitive from justice. And I was out in Arizona staying with some friends of mine. I was under an assumed name. I had a phony uh, uh, alias name, driver's license and things. But, you know, God's like AT&T. He'll reach out and touch you wherever you're at. You can't hide from God. So uh, parents, don't stop praying. Those of you that have sons and daughters, you don't even know where they're at. I answer the phone at SBN for the Bible-thon, the Sherathon, and I'm constantly praying with parents that they haven't talked to their son, their daughter in a year or two years. They're in addiction. They don't know where they're at. God knows where they're at. God hears your prayers. Don't stop praying. Well, finally, I was surrounded in the house. I was listed armed and dangerous. I gave up without a fight. I didn't want to hurt people that I was living with. And they arrested me, put me in Maricopa County prison out in Phoenix, Arizona. And then a few weeks later, they extradited me back to Pennsylvania, where I went. I stood in front of the judge for a sentence. The judge uh, yelled at me, told me what a skunk I was, a lowlife I was. When you read my book, I had put the statements in from the judge and he said it was up to him. He put me in jail for the rest of my life. But I ended up with a 17 year prison sentence, which I eventually served about 10 years of that. And on the way I went. And I'll tell you, I did have thoughts of suicide. I'm, I'm 27 years old. I'm thinking my life's over 17 years in prison. It's a long time. I'm going to be in my 40s. I'm going to be old. Here I am going to be 70 in a few weeks. Back then, I thought 40s was old. Some of you that are uh, my age or maybe getting up there, you'll understand what I'm talking about and the mindset that we have. And so I figure, okay, I'm going to go to, I'm in this jail. I'm in this penitentiary, Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. And so I figure, let me take advantage of the programs and straighten my life out and try to do the right thing and change my life. So if I have the opportunity to get released on parole, I'll go out and stay out. Well, that was a good thought. Let me tell you something. The jails are so overcrowded. The only ones that are allowed to programs are those that have only a couple years left to go. The rest of us that still have 10 years to do, they tell us you can't get involved yet. I said, well, what am I going to do then? They said, we don't care what you do. Just don't cause us any problems. Well, I didn't like that answer. It was bringing up a rebellious spirit in me. And so I did what I did best in jail. I dealt drugs in jail. Got together some some people that I knew from the street that are in the jail. We got some connections going outside. <clears throat> you have to understand, people that are incarcerated are not stupid. They're some of the smartest individuals on this earth. The problem is the creativity and their, their, their smarts have used them for all the wrong things instead of the right things. I mean, understand, if you sit down and talk to somebody who's been in prison, they can tell you like I can tell you. Back in the day, I could walk into a bank with a phony ID with your name, your address on it, and give them a phony check for $3,000, and an hour later, draw out $2,999, leave a dollar in it in two or three hours. I mean, the creativity that God has placed in people is unbelievable. The talent inside every individual on this earth. You're listening to me now and you're thinking, well, what talent do I got? Let me tell you something. God has blessed you. They are what they call innate talents, giftings, abilities. And they're there to bring glory to him. And if you don't know what your talents and gifts are, let me encourage you to seek the Lord. Talk to your pastor uh, about how to, how to find out what your gifts are, what are you good at, what the anointing of God comes upon your life. And so inside there, I was good on the street dealing drugs. Now, watch this. So I started dealing drugs inside the prison. <clears throat> and I was good at it. And I'm going to share this with you. And it's probably going to blow your mind. In my cell, I had wall-to-wall -wall carpet. There were drugs you buy there. I had a color TV. 
I had a stereo system. I had a hot plate. I had a coffee pot. I had a fan. Okay. I had steak and eggs for breakfast. I never smoked a cigarette in my entire life, but I smoked enough dope to pollute Pennsylvania and Louisiana together. I just didn't ever like cigarettes. And in the, in the jail, I had 600 packs of cigarettes because I had football pools that we used. They bet packs of cigarettes. We paid off in packs of cigarettes. And I had I had a 38 pistol. I had drugs. I had two $3,000 cash. We went through a pound of marijuana every couple months. We went through ounces of meth and heroin. There wasn't anything you couldn't get inside a jail. To this day, you can still get drugs and things in a jail. They're, they've, they've wised up since back in the 80s and 70s when I went to jail. They've cut off a lot of the avenues, but back then it was a lot easier to be able to get the drugs in and actually uh, got a guard to bring it in a few times who eventually got caught and lost his job. <clears throat> so I'm in prison and I'm living the life of Riley, okay? Have everything I want except my freedom. And let me tell you something, when you don't have your freedom and especially your freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have nothing, you have nothing. And so this was my lifestyle for a while until one day, the guard said to me, Jim, you need to go see your counselor. So I go up to see my counselor and he says, Jim, you need to call home. Your mother wants to talk to you. So he gave me a phone call. I called my mother and she says to me, she says, son, I got to tell you, I've gotten diabetes and I've lost over 100 pounds. My, my, my mother was a big Italian woman. And she says, I got a sore. My left leg wouldn't heal. And I'm going to have to have it amputated up to my knee. I said, oh, my goodness. And, and so I, I was very sad, very upset. My mother was my best friend. I, I remember going back to my cell and saying to God, God, why? I didn't know God. I really didn't. But I would say, God, why are you doing this to my mother? Why you, kind of God are you? And at the same breath, I was saying, God, don't let her die in the surgery. Well, she went through the surgery and she lived. And a few months later, my brother had brought her up to visit me and I had a visit with her. And I remember she wasn't the same woman. You know, when you're missing a limb, and listen to me, when you deal with somebody that's handicapped, okay, give them extra love and attention. They deserve it and they need it. My mother didn't feel like a complete wife, a complete mother, a complete woman. She lost her zest for life. And at visit, I remember walking back from that visit. I didn't want to remember my mother that way. It was a sad day for me. And so right back to my drugs and things and everything. Until about a year later. I got a, the guard says, you got to go up to see your, your counselor again. So I go up to see him and he says, hey, you need to call home. Your brother wants to talk to you. So I called home. I asked my brother, I said, what do you need, John? He said, listen, he says, I want you to know something. He says, uh, uh, last night, mom was watching this TV show called Cheers. How many of you remember that TV show Cheers? And they had that waitress on there, Carla. Oh, my mother loved that show. Okay, she loved that show. She would watch that show and laugh at that Carla and everything and all. He said, well, she she was watching Cheers and Carla did something where she got an extra 10 bucks from some guy she was waiting on. And my, he said, my mom laughed so hard. And she said she had a heart attack. They rushed her to the hospital. I said, well, tell me, I cut in. Tell me what, what hospital is she in. I want to call her and talk to her. He said, well, I got to tell you, she didn't make it. She's in the morgue. And let me tell you something, mm. folks, my whole world came to an end. My heart sank. I hung that phone up and walked back to my cell and just hugged my, hanged my head over. I couldn't cry. My, my heart was so wrong. It was so hard-hearted from all the years and the drug use and, and the selfishness and the, and the sin. Now and it was sin wreaking havoc in me and a sin nature. I couldn't even cry. My my family paid a couple thousand dollars for me to be brought to Lansdale for to see my mom but before anyone else showed up at the funeral parlor. They wouldn't take the cuffs and shackles and the ankle bracelets off. I had to walk in there inch by inch with and stand in my mother's casket with a sheriff at the foot of her casket and one at the head of her casket and pay my last respects to my mother like that. You want to talk about a spirit of shame on me at that point. And you want to talk about, I couldn't even hug my little sisters. Couldn't even do anything. And 
took me right back to the state penitentiary and right back to my drugs. And I, I think I began to do more drugs. I was just, I felt like that. I couldn't even, I couldn't even cry over my mom's death until a year later. They said, I have to go up to see my counselor again. So now I go up to see my counselor again. And I said, what do you want? All you, all you ever have is bad news for me. <clears throat> he said, Jim, he says, I, I just need to have a review with you. It's getting to a place where you can start going into some programs and things. And he said, I wanted to talk to you. And I said, well, good. I said, can I get a transfer to another jail? And he said, no, Jim, he says, you can't. I said, well, can I do this? He said, no. We went back and forth, what I could do, what I couldn't do. And then finally, he said to me, he says, Jim, let me ask you something. I can tell there's something really wrong with you. Tell me, what's wrong with you? And here I am. Now, listen to me. I'm the big drug dealer. I had two guys in every cell block dealing drugs for me. I used to lend correctional officers money in between their payroll. They would bring me in things, a fan, a, a, whatever. I'm this big shot, so to speak. When you have drugs and money in the world, and you have drugs and money, you have power and influence and things like that. Now, here I am, been, been incarcerated for about seven years already. And I sit down in front of this counselor and he says, Jim, what's really wrong? And I broke down crying. I said, I miss my mother. I hadn't cried since she died. And I sat there weeping like a baby. And this counselor, his name was Jeff Diddy. He, he from Elizabethville, Pennsylvania. I share his name to honor him. This man of God pulled the Bible out of his desk, sat it up there. He gave me tissues to, for me to wipe my nose and my eyes. And I thought to myself, I heard about this Jesus Bible thumper, and I, I'm looking at him. And he says to me, Jimmy, says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, you're the counselor. <clears throat> and he says, Jimmy, he says, do you believe in God? I said, yeah, doesn't everybody? He says, no. He says, do you believe in Jesus Christ? And I says, of course I do. And I said, let me stop you there, Mr. Diddy. I said, I know where you're going with this, but I want you to know something. I'm already a Christian, not like you are, but I'm already a Christian. He says, really? He says, well, tell me about that. He says, why are you telling me you're already a Christian? I said, because I believe in God and Jesus. And I said, I go to church twice a year. Christmas and Easter. I might not go every week, but I go twice a year, and occasionally I go throughout the year. He says, well, Jim, he says, that's not what makes you a Christian. So I stood up. I'm mad. I'm thinking, he's calling me a liar. He's challenging me. And I leaned over at his desk, and I look, and I point at him, and I say, well, then you tell me what makes me a Christian. Ladies and gentlemen, this man of God could have lost his job. But the Holy Spirit used him and used the pride in me to give him permission to share the true gospel. And I don't remember how long it was, but this man of God sat there and shared the love of God the Father, the love of God the Son, the love of God the Holy Spirit with me. And then he asked me, he says, Jim, I want to ask you another question. And by this time, he had my attention. He said, you've tried living life every which way except one, and that's God's way. He says, can you give me one good answer why you shouldn't try living life God's way? Ladies and gentlemen, I didn't have a good answer for that question. So he explained to me the plan of salvation, encouraged me. He didn't pray with me right then. He could have lost his job. Counselors are told not to, that's not your job. You could be fired for that. But this man of God took a chance and shared the love of God with me and explained to me the plan of salvation. I went back to my prison cell that day and I pulled a sheet across my bars so no one could see. And I went to the back of my cell and I got down on my knees and I folded my hands. I bowed my head and I closed my eyes because this is what I learned in Sunday school. And as a child growing up is how you pray. You get down on your knees by your bed, you fold your hands, close your eyes, and you pray. And I really didn't know how to pray, 
but I began to do this and I began to just talk to God as I knew how. And I said, dear God, this is Jim Lowe. And I gave him my state number, AM 6419. I'm at the State Correctional Institute at Camp Hill, serving a 17 year I began to tell him who I am, where I am, the cell block I was on, the tier I lived on, the cell block, and almost gave him a description of my height and weight. I look back now and I can tell that was not necessary, but in my purity of heart, this is what I was trying to do. I was trying to talk to God and pray in sincerity. And I said to God, I said, God, I need to ask you some things. And I said, God, where is my mother? My mother was brought up Catholic. Is she with you? Is she in purgatory? Is she in hell? Is she just laying in the ground? I said, God, I miss my mother. I hurt every day since she died. I have a physical pain. I can't live with this hurt, this loss, this pain in my heart, my chest every day. I can't do it anymore. And I said, God, I've made a terrible mess in my life. And I don't know if you can forgive me for all the dirty deeds that I've done. But I said, my counselor just said, I need to ask you to forgive me, to say that Jesus, I died. You died on that cross for my sins. You shed your blood for my sins and the sins of the world. And, and I confess that to you now. And I ask you to, uh, to cleanse me and to forgive me. And I said, God, I made a mess of my life. And I ask you to come in and take my life over, not just come in my heart, take my life over and help me and in your name amen and i remember that prayer and i cried and i weep and i remember getting up off my knees and washing my face and taking the sheet away from the bars and i remember looking out the window and i remember looking and thinking i have peace praise god i couldn't explain it i had peace ladies and gentlemen i didn't see lights or angels and I didn't hurt anymore. I didn't miss my mother anymore. And I knew right then God was real. Something changed. Something changed. I don't miss my mother. I have peace about her. That pain was gone. And I, I couldn't explain it. it. Was It was better than anything I've ever experienced in my whole life. Better than any drug, any alcohol, any thrill. So I ran back to the garden. I said, I want to see my counselor. <clears throat> And I went up to see him. He said, Jim, you've become born again. I want to encourage you to get with the other brothers in the jail. And I did immediately. And they connected me to a, a local church where pastors are coming in. And I had a couple pastors that would come in to visit with me and disciple me weekly. And the one specifically, Pastor Steve Bohr, just turned 82, my spiritual father, every week. Uh, the senior pastor at this church, Pastor Larry Titus, another one, he lives down in Texas. He just turned 82 himself, still alive. And the, all of a sudden, God began to open doors in the jail. I got in this program, computer program, that program. And I began to get things together for, for in the jail for release back into society. And immediately I started holding Bible studies in the jail. I learned sign language to share the gospel with the deaf people, ones that were on medication that nobody else wanted. God put a love in my heart. I would gather them in the yard, begin to love these guys and minister and pray for them, get them delivered from medications and things and began to just let God use me in a jail. I went from the top drug dealer to the top soul winner. I turned the jail upside down for Jesus. Then in 1989, the Camp Hill riots broke out. In the middle of the jail, I was ministering to guards. I, 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 I prayed for a state trooper who confessed an adulterous affair while I was handcuffed in the middle of the riot. It's amazing what I saw God do. We helped save a guard's life. I'd moved into a mother unit where 60 men lived there, but 40 out of 60 were Christians. The guard treated us good. We put an inmates' clothes on them in the middle of the riot, snuck them up to the front gate and got them out safely. And then it came time for parole, and I went up in front of the parole board, and I thought, surely, God, you're going to let me get out of here now. And the parole board denied my parole for six months. And talk about getting hurt and upset with God. And so, God, I've done everything. I've served you here. I've done this. I've done that. And I gave up all the things, the works. <clears throat> and I, again, God, you owe me. And I look back now and I understand, church, it's not about what we do. It's about what he's already done at Calvary. 
but I didn't know it back then. And six months later, within that six months, they brought a new inmate into that jail and he began to take over the jail. And I saw for why while I was kept there, a couple different reasons. Number one, God will not leave his sheep without a shepherd. I was the shepherd. And so God brought another shepherd there. And then when I was released, I'll tell you another true reason why is because the wife that I know now of almost 33 years wasn't at that church at that point. If I would have been released six months earlier, I might not have met my wife and married her for the last 33 years. So God has a plan and he knows what's best. And you want to walk out that door. Let me tell you something. If you're incarcerated and you're listening to this podcast, you have a son or a daughter that's incarcerated. You want to walk out the door the day, the minute God opens the door. Don't get your spiritual crowbar and force your way out or you're coming back. The day I walked out of that prison door, I had a call of God in my life. Now, what I'm going to share now with you, okay, I'm going to share the blessings of God, okay? And I know without a shadow of a fact, it's got nothing to do with me and my flesh, it's God. But I want to share with you how God has used me since I walked out of that prison jail in 1990. The day I walked out, I did two live television interviews. It was the one-year anniversary of the Camp Hill riot. One I did on the jail property across the street from jail. After walking out 10 years, I went back that same day I walked out and did a jail. There was a, the people in the area in Camp Hill were worried about another riot, inmates getting loose, guards getting hurt. God used me the day I walked out of jail to calm the fears of the surrounding community in the Harrisburg area. Two live TV interviews. That that Wednesday, that Sunday morning, I spoke at our church, Pastor Larry Titus, Christ Me Church Camp Hill, two services which were recorded, okay, that Sunday morning, and then the next Sunday they were played. I spoke at both services, my testimony. The next two days, the phone lines lit up. Parents, people wanted to talk to me. They saw the call of God, how God has been using my testimony, where God has brought me. <clears throat> Church, they immediately, the pastor went to the elders, and they put me on staff right out of prison after 10 years in their prison ministry with Pastor Steve Border. The very next Sunday, okay, my wife of 30, almost 33 years now, wasn't there the day I spoke, but the following Sunday, she was listening to the broadcast on the week before that she missed while she was getting ready to come to church. And she listened to my testimony and said, wow, this guy's real. She came to church the following Sunday. And I had met so many people in the first week, hundreds. It was 1,200 people, 1,500 people in this church. And I walked up to people, introduced it. And I saw my wife of today, Doris, sitting in, in near the front row, the second row. And I walked up and I introduced myself and I said, hi. I haven't met you yet. I said, can I ask your name? She said, it's Doris. And she said, what is yours? I said, well, they call my nickname is Murphy. But she says, I don't want your nickname. What is your God-given name? I thought, well, this woman is pretty strong here. <coughs> and so I said, it's Jim. And the following Sunday, she came up to me. And she says, I know you just got out of jail. Excuse me a minute. <coughs> I have two uh, uh, day spas for women. I need some work done. Would you like to make a few dollars? I said, sure. So I got permission from my spiritual father <clears throat> after church that way that day. And I didn't charge her. She took me out to dinner. I began to serve God and go right back into prison within eight months. I was the first ex-offender, excuse me, in Pennsylvania to get permission to go back inside the state correctional institution within eight months of release as a positive role model in all of the state prisons. And then I began to, I double dated with Doris and I began to uh, see her in February. I asked her to, to marry me. We got married in August, August 10th, 1990, less than a, a year after I was released. God knew I needed, I wasn't looking for a wife, but God knew I needed help, a helpmate. <clears throat> and he brought her into my life. And within a couple of years, Pastor Larry Titus would move on, and God spoke to me about taking the prison ministry out of the church and incorporate it, which I did to Second Chance Prison Ministries of Pennsylvania, then International. Second Chance Prison Ministries became the largest prison ministry ever in the history of Pennsylvania. We had 110 volunteers, 33 weekly services, and 30 different prisons in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. 
had a radio program called Prison Talk for 10 years, had a television program called Prison Talk for only a year up in the Scranton area, had two transitional houses. I worked with the Pennsylvania Department of Corrections, Pennsylvania Department of Parole, Probation and Parole Agents and Finding Home Plans for People with programs with Harrisburg Community College over the next 25 years or so. <clears throat> had lunch with Joyce Myers a couple times, helped Kenneth Copeland Ministries with his Bible study correspondent course, helped several other uh, ministries raise funds, write grants and things like that. Had a school of ministry with Pastor Jack Cashman out of York. He had an airplane. We flew around Pennsylvania. It was called the Pennsylvania Ministerial Association. We licensed ordained over 600 people in nine years. So he went to home to be with the Lord at 55 in 2009 from a, a cancer in the brain. I've had several spiritual fathers and still have a couple of them in my life right now. Now And then in 2012, began to watch SBN, The Message of the Cross, and God spoke to Doris and I to move down here. It'll be exactly uh, seven years ago this February 6th that we arrived here in Baton Rouge a year later on my birthday, March 28th. Uh, Swaggers called me into the administration of office and asked me to take over the prison ministry as a director. I came down to retire. I said, I don't want to work full time. They said, be the volunteer director over Jimmy Swagger Ministries, prison ministries for the whole United States. I'm in charge of all the Bibles being shipped to any prisons throughout the United States and Puerto Rico. I just shipped eight cases to Puerto Rico prisons. And so uh, God's been so good in my life. My wife has been my best friend, my, my best supporter, and she has wisdom beyond my years and knowledge of God and things. And uh, I don't know where I'd be without her wisdom and guidance and her partner and everything. And if you ask her, why did she marry me out of jail? She'll give you one answer, because she saw Jesus in me. So I, I want to encourage those that are listening today. Uh, God is always working behind the scenes. The difference is, Okay, I've kept my relationship with the Lord up. I don't let anything come between my relationship with the Lord, not even my wife, nothing. We've never had children. God and I, uh, God hasn't blessed us in that area. My wife died in 1994 in Hershey Medical trying to have children. God allowed me to pray her back to life. You can't shake our faith. We are men and women of God of faith. We believe the message of the cross is the last day message that's going to bring the last day move of God into this world right now. SBN is the fastest growing Christian network in the history of Christian network growing. I want to encourage you to tune in to SBN, watch and listen, get a hold of your own revelation of the message of the cross. I want to encourage everybody listening. If you have the opportunity to come visit us down here in Baton Rouge, please do it. It'll change your life. I come up to Pennsylvania once or twice a year. I'll let Kirk know uh, when I'll be coming back up, hopefully in May and in a few months of uh, 2024 in the fall 2024. I want to thank Kirk for everything he's doing to get the gospel and the message of the cross out. And I want to thank everybody listening to his podcast. Please share this podcast with others. I believe it's going to be a very encouraging testimony for those that are in addiction or has a family member in addiction. God bless you all. And I'm going to turn it back over to my brother, Kirk. Uh, praise God, man. You know, it's every time I hear your story, it's it's just so it's amazing to see how fast the Lord just starts working when somebody gets born again. And uh, I want to ask you, um, you know, the Lord used uh, the passing of your mother to to get you. To, to snap out of it pretty much. Are there any points that you could remember previous to that where the Lord was trying to get your attention and you were just too blind to see it? Or was that the first time that, that you think he really tried to reach out to you? Oh, no, no, no. First of all, let me tell you something. God's trying to get everyone's attention. He's not willing that any should perish, right. but all come to repentance and have everlasting life. And, and if you have anybody that's in your family, anybody you know has been praying for you, Okay, the thing is, God will put stop signs in front of us, rerun them. He'll put detour signs, yield signs. He's always trying to get our attention. But but 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says the God of this world has blinded the eyes and the mind spiritually uh, uh, those that are going to receive the glorious light of salvation. It's why it's so important to pray and don't give up. But sometimes, sometimes we have we have to experience a tragedy in our life. When all of our guards that are up, all of our emotions and everything, and we become vulnerable, 
And then at that right moment, uh, because the obedience of the, this man of God, this count, he could have lost his job. But God spoke to him and said, hey, I want you to share the gospel with this time. Let me tell you something. God's timing is just as important as his doing, folks. Amen. Just as it's important. So never give up. Don't ever give up. Doesn't mean we we enable them. And look, the best thing that could have happened when I wanted to come home one time when I was homeless, okay, and I was out there, had my car sleeping in the benches in a car and things like that. And I asked my mom to come home. She said no. And I, I was hurt. But that was the best thing. Sometimes we just have to say no. And it causes us, okay, maybe that might be the wake up call that we need. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it, it's a good point. Like you said, that that guy, you know, he could have lost his job, but praise God for him being obedient to what the Lord spoke to him. You know, and, and the same thing in my life with uh, Adam, because the Lord orchestrated all the pieces of my life to get me to a point where I got a new job that put me in a truck with this guy named Adam who just so happened to share the gospel with me when the Lord spoke to him, and it changed my life. You know, if Adam wouldn't have been obedient that day in the truck, who knows where I'd be right now? You know, it, it's amazing. And praise God that there's still obedient uh, believers out there that hear the Holy Spirit and they answer and they they do what the Lord's telling them to do. It's it's amazing. Yeah, you know, it's just, you know, people like Adam, they're sold, they love God. People like you, you love God. There's people that love God, but they're afraid to step out there and witness. They're afraid of what someone's going to say. They're, they're afraid they're going to be uh, uh, rejected or right. anything like that. But they're not rejecting you. They're, they're rejecting the Lord. So I would encourage anybody to just take a step out there. And, and I've got about 60 seconds left, and then i got to sign off. All right, brother. Well, uh, with that being said, we'll uh, we'll start leading people into um, a sinner's prayer here. I want to give everybody who prayed with or uh, listened today the chance to um, pray with us. You know, if you don't know the Lord, or if if you've walked away from the Lord at any point in your life, and and you want to come back, and and Pastor Jim's story has has touched your heart, we're going to lead you in a sinner's prayer here today. And uh, you know, it's not the words that save you. If you believe it in your heart that Jesus Christ is who he said he is and God raised him from the dead. He will come into your heart and he will change your life immediately, just how he did to me, just how he did to Pastor Jim. So we're going to go ahead and lead you in a sinner's prayer. I'm going to lead us and, and Pastor Jim's going to repeat after me and you guys just follow along with us. Dear God in heaven. Dear God in heaven. I come to you today as a lost sinner. I come to you today as a lost sinner. I'm asking you that you save my soul. I'm asking you that you save my soul. And cleanse me from all sin. And cleanse me from all sin. I realize in my heart the need of salvation. I realize in my heart the need of salvation. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. Which can only come through Jesus Christ. I'm accepting Christ into my heart. I'm accepting Christ into my heart. And what he did on the cross to purchase my redemption what he did on the cross to purchase my redemption. In obedience to your word, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. In obedience to your word, I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in my heart, God's raised him from the dead. And believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. You said in your word, which cannot lie. You said in your word, which cannot lie. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. I have called upon your name exactly as you have said. And I believe that right now I am saved. And I believe right now I am saved. Amen and amen. Praise God. Yeah. Amen. Pastor Jim, I thank you for taking the time. You know, I know you're a busy guy and you a lot of things going on down there at the ministry. So I, I deeply appreciate you taking the time out to, to come speak with me for an hour and share your testimony to my audience. Amen. God bless you for the work you're doing for the gospel and hope to see you soon. Amen, brother. God gets all the glory and we'll see you at camp meeting, brother. All right. God bless you all. Take Thanks. care. God bless. Bye-bye.